Hello, Marvelites. Welcome to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics coming out May 30th, 2018. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker. And Tucker, <laughs> this show is us talking about the new books out this week. We're going to get down to the nitty gritty on the new issues, the collections, some stuff that's hitting our digital places. And it's a good week. Oh, yeah. It's thick with delightful comics. <laughs> and the first one is the thickest of them all. It's the T-H-I-C-C-Est. Yes, yeah. 100%. <laughs> There's a little emoji, 100. Yes. Uh, uh, that is Amazing Spider-Man number 800. It's here. It's here. It is amazing, as it says in the title. <laughs> and in truth, it is amazing. Uh, it is written by Dan Slott. This is the culmination of 10 years of Dan Slott being a writer on Amazing Spider-Man. Stuff that he's been thinking about his entire tenure on this book uh, since, you know, he really started as part of a team working before I even got to Marvel. Wow. Um, and now we get this end of this story, the end of Go Down Swinging, which is huge and wild. You've got Norman Osborn, who is loaded to the gills on his goblin serum. He's back in, like, I don't want to say he's fully sane, because Norman Osborn is never going to be right. fully together. Relatively. He, for him. It's a relative thing. Yeah. yeah. But then he's also got Cletus Cassidy's Carnage symbiote. And so he has been running amok as the Red Goblin throughout this arc, and it has been tremendous. Now, this is not something that Dan is doing alone. The letter for the entire issue is Joe Caramagna. But there are, well, the way it's explained in the credits page, there's four chapters plus a epilogue plus a post-credit scene essentially <laughs> that, that's really how it's broken down mm -hmm. so technically six chapters or look at it as four plus one plus one but artists come through in full force you've got nick bradshaw and edgar delgado on the first part chapter two is with umberto ramos victor olazaba and edgar delgado longtime amazing spider-man collaborators with dan another longtime collaborator giuseppe camancoli he pencils chapter three is joined with Cam Smith and Java Tartaglia. Chapter four, which is really the big culmination of this story, is drawn by Stuart Eminent, inks by Wade Von Grawbadger, and colors by Marte Gracia. Like I say it every time Stuart does a book, but for my money, he's just, he's God level. Like yeah. He's yeah. up there, such an amazing storyteller. All these guys are, truly, Giuseppe, Umberto, Nick, Doing great, but man, Stuart Eminem, something special for me. And then there's the epilogue, which is drawn by Giuseppe Camicoli, Kem Smith, and Java Tartaglia. And then we get a, the little post credit scene, the goodbye. Wait, I was wrong. There are two sort of ending scenes. The post credit scene is actually drawn by Mike Hawthorne with J.P. Meyer and Jordi Belair. There's another epilogue, the epilogue squared. <laughs> Yeah. That piece, that one is drawn by Marcos Martin, who I am always uh, delighted and happy and feel a little bit lucky that we get Marcos to do some art because he's he's got all these other ventures. He's not really doing a lot of Marvel stuff. So this is a, this is a great one. Uh, Marcos Martin is joined by Munza Vicente. And wow, tons of artists, tons of pages. It's something like, I don't know. 80? <sighs> 80 plus? 80 plus, somewhere between 80 and 90. Yeah. Uh, some odd pages of comic in this. And there's a ton of variant covers. But this is truly the the end of an era for Spider-Man. <laughs> this 
is the greatest Spidey epic to me. This is this story that feels so big, but pure Spider-Man. Power, responsibility, sacrifice, humor, action, friendship, love, redemption, great villain, plenty of Peter magic, Peter failing, Peter being Peter, all those pieces, and it's it's just massive. If you have not been reading Amazing Spider-Man, hopefully you pick up this arc, but you could even pick up this issue. You just join in media res and just go, mm-hmm. and you see that Spider-Man is up against his greatest villain in one of the most harrowing scenarios possible. Norman Osborn knows who Spider-Man is. He knows his identity, and so he's striking in so many ways, going after his family, his friends, his you know superhero partners. His Norman Osborn goes after his own grandson because he's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just he's a, he's a, he's just a bad person. I realized I started talking about this and this <laughs> is one of my picks of the week. I got so engrossed and so yeah. excited about this book. I just like this is exactly what I was hoping for. So I have to stop myself <laughs> or else I will go too far and then you'll have no reason to listen to this week in Marvel. Yeah, yeah. And I need you to listen to that show, guys. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Don't lose it for me. For me this this issue like I just think of it as like the third act of any kind of great epic film where there's just so much happening. Certain elements of this story made me think of Empire Strikes Back in in, mm. a, in a way because of there's just so many kind of like epic falling actions. Like you can feel things tumbling down in such a huge way. You can kind of hear the score to these scenes in your head. And yeah, those all the words that you've been using to describe it, massive, epic, sprawling, this just giant story that's culminating in such a beautiful way. Those are all in my notes. It's an amazing culmination of Dan Slott's work. Yeah. And surprise, it's not Dan's last issue. Ooh. We get one more in a couple weeks. So uh, exciting. A little so epilogue exciting. with Marcos Martin on art. So we'll talk about that coming soon. And again, dig into more of this with Jamie on This Week in Marvel later this week. Next up is another Amazing Spider-Man. This is Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows number 19. It's written by Jody Hauser with art by Scott Koblish, colors by Ruth Redman, and letters by Joe Caramagna. Uh, this is a great kind of one-off story where MJ and Pete go on vacation. It's great. We get a little bit, a little taste of what Annie is doing back home, but MJ and Pete are on a cruise they're going on a cruise. What was the last time you went on a cruise? Have I've been never cruise? been on a cruise. You know what? I've been on oh, boats, but never a cruise. Yeah, I, I haven't either. I don't know what it's like. I only had my kind of my love and relations to MJ and Peter to go by. I couldn't, you know, I, I had no points of reference for these this cruise ship business. I was about to say, I'm quite familiar with the love boat, but then I realized you may not even know what the love boat is. I do, and I know the theme song as well. <laughs> Um, uh, it's kind of like strangely, it's a mini epic in its own kind of funny way because it's essentially just MJ and Pete trying to find some solace, trying to find some relaxing moments with each other and just kind of get away from it all. Of course, that is never going to happen because trouble follows them no matter where they go. There's an awesome, really, really fun, really different kind of villain. I don't want to say too much villain monster bad guy in this that I thought was just great to read and so much fun. As with every Renew Your Vow story and and Jody has just done a great job in imbuing these issues with just like this the Parker family love. 
And you get that in a, in a huge way here, um, kind of with this really fun angle that I feel like is kind of, would you call it like a comic book kind of superhero trope in a way, like the issue where the hero tries to get away for an issue? Yeah, I feel like sure. I've read a few of these stories and I love them so much. Totally. Yeah. Uh, where it's like a day off. For yeah. the, like, what's the superhero's day off like? But this takes it in a really, really fun and really interesting direction. And it's it's just them, I guess, renewing their vows in, in a, in a vacation-y way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I- I, this was nearly one of my picks. I love this issue so much. But the like the Peter Parker of it, of it all is so intrinsically tied to the Spider-Man of it all and that is really like at the core of this issue. It's they're all together. I love it, but it is a family story. It's them being in love after all these years and having fun and you've got like the little things about their world like Wolverine the babysitter, <laughs> uh you know, Scott Cobblish. Love his art so much. But there's a scene at the beginning with Peter and Annie Mae and they are eating popcorn. Mm -hmm. And the face and like pose that he draws Annie Mae eating the popcorn in is exactly one of the poses he drew for people vomiting in Deadpool 300. Uh, So when you read this, (laughs) think about that. I got the (laughs) biggest kick out of it. It made me so happy. And one last thing on this book, sexy Namor strikes. Yes, he does. Strikes deep. We need need our own bell just for sexy Namor moments. It's got to be like uh, one of those giant like seahorns. Like a conch shell. Yeah. Oh, Oh, we got to get a conch in here. Yep. (laughs) With the conch request out of the way, let's go to Daredevil number 603. I was reading this issue. uh, I was at a pivotal moment. When something happened with the the beast, the head of the hand, and my wife walked into the room, she saw my face all scrunched up because of the grossness, and she was just like, oh, God. (laughs) It was great. It was really terrific. This issue is written by Charles Soule, art by Mike Henderson, who is like an MVP for me right now. I am just digging the heck out of everything he does. Colors by Matt Mila. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is kind of a calm between the storms issue. Matt has taken control of being mayor of New York City. The Hand has taken down Kingpin. The Beast is enacting his plan, but it's like everything is sort of like simmering, ready to come to a boil again. And it's it, ah, it's really neat. New people coming into the picture, which is really cool too. There's a, a character who shows up at the end, which I really, really dug. This character we've seen a little tiny bit of and then a return of a major daredevil character again mike henderson there's a moment where he draws foggy so flustered and annoyed with matt it's just a pitch perfect moment he he tells the story so well with the comedy with heart the action here it's very kinetic loving it loving it Next up, we're diving back into the grand story of Infinity Countdown with Infinity Countdown Captain Marvel number one, which is written by Jim McCann with art by Diego Orlotegui, colors by Eric Arseniega and letters by Clayton Cowles. I really loved this story a lot. This was almost one of my picks because I feel like it takes advantage of Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers in such a specific way and we get some great dimension hopping in this issue that kind of is the the big structure that we we have going on here because carol is of course in possession of the reality stone and that's how it kind of fits into the bigger infinity countdown story and there are a lot of little notes about how this will slot into the larger event but it almost felt like a solo 
generations story in a way to me mm. um, because it, it got to the heart of what Captain Marvel means. Essentially what's happening is Carol is kind of projecting across different realities, different dimensions, and she's running into each reality's Captain Marvel or version of Captain Marvel, however that takes form across dimensions. Well, that's one of my favorite spreads of this week. It's this two-page spread where she's reaching out and she's talking to these different Captain Marvels to help solve her problem. And we get this peek into different universes, right? And part of it is we see uh, different versions of Carol, different costumes, different iterations, realities where she went this way or that way or looked this way or that way. But there's also realities where Monica Rambeau is still Captain Marvel, mm -hmm. where Marvel is still alive, where Philavel has taken the mantle, where Novar is the Captain Marvel of that re like reality. There's, uh, you know, Genus Vell, all these different, like, it's a great celebration of the history of Captain Marvel and what the title mm -hmm. means. But also, as you're saying, a like reaffirming of how awesome Carol is. Yeah. And like, of course, because we're looking at all these different variations of different realities, you know, the art and the interpretation of those different realities and how they're slightly different or how they're really different uh, is so much fun to see. And I think Diego Olotegui does an amazing job at just creating these different realities and making them feel real and also super unique whether it's the costumes or looking at the splash pages going on in here, the kind of cosmic art, it all adds up to be a really great kind of consummate definition of what Captain Marvel means at the end of the day back in the 616. And it kind of serves as a, as a almost like a Christmas Carol. Christmas. This is Christmas Carol. Oh, <laughs> Christmas Carol Danvers. Where she kind of sees... Hello, an, Alpha Fight! <laughs> uh, Mary, Carol, everyone. You know, Fat Goose for us all. Uh, fat uh, Goose? Is that like a weird Top Gun spinoff? <laughs> fat Goose. <laughs> uh, great Balls of Fire. Yeah, so at the end, it, it definitely serves a, a big purpose for Carol as she continues to be, you know, hugely involved and will be hugely involved in the Infinity Countdown story. Yeah. All right. Also, tons of cool stuff in Lockjaw number four. And this is going to be Jamie Feverly's pick of the week on This Week in Marvel. So I won't dig in too much, but it is written by Daniel Kibblesmith, pencils by Carlos Villa, inks by Roberto Poggi, and colors by Chris O'Halloran with letters by Clayton Cowles. It's the end of this, this limited series, which is a lot of fun. Answer some really cool questions. It is... Got a drunk-ish, sassy King Odin, uh, which I want more of by Daniel Kibblesmith. Great cameos and lots, lots more. We'll talk about it a bunch more on This Week in Marvel when Jamie's on the show. Next book is Marvel 2-in-1, number 6, written by Chip Zdarsky, pencils by Jim Chung, inks by Walden Wong, and colors by Frank Martin with Joe Caramagna on the letters. It's a big one. This is the end of this arc. Wait, what is that? What is that? Here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is my pick of the week. Yeah, it is. Chip. I mean, he just continues to surprise. I am a huge fan. It has been well noted. This is just a really beautiful story. I've been loving 2-in-1 so much. I mean, when people ask me, like, hey, what should I be reading right now? What's what's great? What's new and, and, and really interesting? 2-in-1 is right at the top of my list because I think Chip has this really amazing ability to leap between, like, the silliest, funniest, like, gags and goofs to 
really touching, heart-wrenching stuff that touches on so many elements of the Fantastic Four and leads to some really great, tense, dramatic moments. And we get that in a huge way with this issue. It's really interesting to see the clash of the dooms, in a way, in this story, because we have, of course, the infamous Iron Man and Victor Von Doom trying to be reformed, but there have been so many great moments despite his supposed reformation between Johnny and Ben and Victor where they refuse to believe it. Yeah, well, what I love about Doom in the in like the past year or so is that he's still a jerk, but he's just trying to be good and help people, and it's the struggle he's trying to figure out, well, no, but this is how I would do it, I don't care if someone loses a finger to now he's like, oh, I got to do it a different way or else that person loses right. a finger. It doesn't make any sense. Right. To me. <laughs> right. And that kind of gets pushed to its limit in this issue where Victor Von Doom and his intentions and his kind of goodness are tested in a big way as they're kind of thrown into this gauntlet with Johnny and Ben and with a Sue and a Reed of another dimension, another reality that we were at, we first ran into a, a couple issues ago. So we have that great dynamic, but of course there's that little wrinkle, there's that little twist where there is this kind of rift between Ben and Johnny and the Sue and the Reed because they're from a different reality. They've had a different past together, although they have this common knowledge of this con- common understanding and they are aware of what is going on with Reed and Sue in the reality that Ben and Johnny come from. But it shared a kind of those kind of like third act feelings that I had a huge way with Amazing Spidey 800, where it just felt like such a massive story where so many things were coming to a head. It was culminating and the pressure was building in such a big kind of cinematic way. And the payoff is so wonderful in this issue. This is the end of an arc for two and one uh, and I'm so happy to see that we're continuing the story. We're moving on with Ben and Johnny. We're getting more two-in-one action, and I'm loving it so much. Awesome, awesome, awesome series for me. Yeah. Uh, Jim Chung's art here is also like... Crazy. You know, Jim is a very detailed, intricate penciler, so we don't get a ton of his work in a year. So it's like to be treasured and poured over. The way he draws Ben Grimm is, is... like so special. There's this one panel of Ben, the way you see his mouth mm-hmm. and like the texture of of the rocks and the look in his eyes, his brow, his brow. Yeah. It's all so cool. This design for this this alternate universe doom and and what's going on there is is wild. And it has one of my favorite pages slash panels of the week where here everybody of this universe enacts their plan. And they make it and it's this like you get this one page of like, oh, my God, you know, it's happening. Beautiful Kirby crackle everywhere. It's it's this person is writhing in pain. Then you flip the page and it's just this beautiful sort of single splash with most of the action happening in the bottom left corner. And it's really held together by the colors and what you you know, the, the negative space of this page makes the, the the main part of it so much more impactful. You know, because of the way comics come out, we know Fantastic Four is coming back together. We know some stuff went down with Victor at the end of Iron Man number 600, which leads him down a, back to a different path. We know the this crew's journey will lead us back home, 
but I'm excited to see what else we have for two and one. Next up is Marvel Superhero Adventures number one. This is also Mr. Jim McCann. Mm-hmm. It's a McCann heavy week. Yeah, double dose of Jim. With art by Dario Brizuela, with letters by Joe Caramagna. This is such a fun, like adorable, great, family-friendly story. It ticks all the boxes for that. This is a Doctor Strange and Spidey issue, and it's kind of like a story within a story. Mary Shelley would be proud. I'm familiar. You can keep going. <laughs> I, I'm familiar. Uh, and uh, we get cutie little Spider-Man, cutie little Doctor Strange, and cutie little Hella. Yeah. We're in the Sanctum. There's so, some great kind of body switching. It's yeah, like... Uh, it's, uh, what's that movie? Freaky Friday? Is it Freaky Friday? I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, sure. There's been so many of them yeah, where yeah. like the dad is switched with the son. 13 going on 30. Yeah. Uh, the one with the guy from Friends. Uh, Rocky? <laughs> Are you talking about Rocky? Yes, Rocky. Got it. <laughs> Cut me, Mick. Like I said, it's, uh, it's perfect for all ages. We so often get questions about issues and series and stories that are great for young readers, uh, and this is exactly that. As this story wraps up, there's also a chapter two, which is kind of like a storybook, kind of read-along, kind of great combination of comics art and just kind of a more prose-style yeah. uh, narrative. Yeah, it, it is exactly what you want from this story. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of letting kids read almost any comic yeah. uh, aside from maybe like a, a Max book or whatever. Right, but right. cause that's, I read what I read and I grew up into yeah. that stuff and I think it was great. It really Hugely formative. Me. Yeah. But I think it's also really important to have books that are made for kids and especially when they don't talk down to kids, which this does perfectly. It's super terrific. Up next is Ms. Marvel number 30. You are, you are on a roll. It's complicated. That, oh man, that's that's the the title at the top of the issue. Yes, on the cover, so good. Oh, like G. Willow Wilson with these titles. There are so many amazing pun titles for Ms. Marvel. This is Ms. Marvel number thirty, and it's written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Nico Leon, colors by Ian Herring, and letters by Joe Caramagna. Uh, we're back in high school here. We've kind of gone on to a lot of different places with Kamala over recent months. She disappeared for a little while. She's dealt with some community issues, some family issues, some romance issues. And this issue brings her back to school. And uh, we get all of the great kind of high school beats and moments. Rodney uh, Dangerfield. That's right. He's back to school here with her. Don't get no respect at all. And something has kind of infiltrated the school. And Kamala, of course, is due to respond. It is a great Kamala Khan story. It's a great superhero story, but all in the confines of like high school culture, high school age characters in all of the best ways. And uh, as we move forward with Ms. Marvel, next issue is the 50th issue of. In total, is number in total. This is number yeah. 30. Next is the, the 50th issue of Kamala Khan. Yep. And I thought this was a super appropriate kind of lead into that because Kamala is a product of her community in a huge way, in a really powerful way. And this is a crucial element to that. And uh, of course we have all the super personal moments there for Kamala as well as kind of things are splintering in some new directions for her. Yeah. The book has like, it's got the team drama, the superheroes, the villains, real world issues. But what Ms. Marvel always has so much 
we have to remember it's also a really funny book mm-hmm. like really well done comedy like willow sets up such funny moments great dialogue bits and then you have a, a really talented artist like nico just crush it taking them home wonderful visual flourishes i'm thinking about there's a scene in the beginning of the book where there's a thief stealing a satellite and he's like a guy running down the street with a an orbital type satellite he's like running and kamala's like come back here you know like stop that it made me laugh out loud it was really really well done man i love this book so much all right next book is punisher number 225 and this is like a little Punisher versus the Marvel Universe story right here. It's, you know, Frank being like a wild animal. Like they're trying to cage him and he's just snapping and clawing and, you know, hissing and spitting. Believe me, I know what it's like. I have cats and they don't like getting put in cages to go to the vet. Uh, and they just get a little crazy. But it's it's really terrific. This is written by Matt Rosenberg, art by Gui Villanova, colors by Lee Lowridge, letters by Corey Petit. There's just so many fun bits in here. I love that it's in New York City because Matt is a New York City native, and so he just adds little flourishes. He's also a big weirdo for milkshakes. There's a scene where Frank Castle's eating a burger, drinking a milkshake, and Spider-Man is looking for him, and he's like, he was here, but he's, you know, he's gone. Like, How do you know? He's like, he didn't finish his milkshake. Uh <laughs> funny stuff there's a really cool escape scene where frank is able to escape from a building that they think the heroes think they have him trapped in you see the next scene is him riding the subway you know like yeah he's not gonna go around flying they're gonna see him flying of course he's gonna take the subway and this is really great scene although i will say i'm living in new york city i would say 99 percent of our subway cars do not look as like messed up and yeah. dirty and this was like a true 1980s uh, th- this looks like, like... Some, this looks like you watched the warriors was like right subway yes. car. Yeah. got it yeah uh, which is great <laughs> yeah. i love it it made me so happy and maybe in the marvel universe there's a little bit of that but i also love just the art in general we've seen a lot of the military stuff a couple of power suits of armor in the previous couple of issues and of course frank's in his war machine armor but we haven't seen you draw superheroes much Mm -hmm. and so now we get really cool things and you get matt he's able to do some dialogue for hercules you get spider-man moments and it's this gritty realism for these characters which i think works so well i want to see more of of this type of thing and of course matt gotta put some quake in the book he loves him some quake oh oh before i even get to the end there's really cool bits in here where storytelling wise smart panel and page layout so there's one page where carol danvers captain marvel is in the middle she's talking to different superheroes and on the left hand side you have you know one scenario where some heroes are going after frank and you see where he was what happened and the aftermath and the other side of that page three panels again it's where he was what happens the aftermath but they're different and they're colored with different hues. It gives them their own distinct personalities, their own distinct flavors. I think it's really smart storytelling and that's mirrored again on the next page. Simple thing, really neat. And I, uh, I'm i excited for all y'all to, to see where this is going. For me, one of the like big indicators that a writer is a master of comic books is economy of language. Like, Can you tell a story? Can you team up with the artist in a way that tells a story beautifully with as few words as necessary 
And this issue is just a perfect example of why Matt Rosenberg is so, so good because his economy of language is incredible. You get those moments and there are some super funny moments, like you said. There are some really great dialogue that gets to the heart of Frank Castle's perspective and everyone else's perspective, which are both completely legitimate. And it's so great to be stuck in the middle with that. Reading that issue, that was one of my big takeaways, something that I'm always so uh, in awe of. And another great story that I have been in awe of because it is so different than anything else is Spider-Gwen. And we have issue number 32 this week, which is written by Jason Latour with art by Robbie Rodriguez, colors by Rico Renzi, and letters by Clayton Cowles. Like I said... The reality that Spider-Gwen has taken place in and kind of that's shifted a bit and has been played with a lot in a really interesting way. But despite all of that, this is one of the most unique books every single issue. It is so much fun to read. It is so great to see the different interpretations of these characters. Matt Murdock, for example, is kind of the big bad of this story And his story comes to a head in a really, really interesting way in a parallel path to Gwen's. They both kind of reach a a threshold in this issue. For example, taking Matt Murdock or taking Gwen and taking that character and everything we know about that character. And in the case of Matt Murdock, weaponizing it against us or against the reality that this has been placed in. So it's so cool to see those character constants manifest in uh, a different light. And uh, that has been true with every single issue of Spider-Gwen. And I feel like it was a big issue in terms of narrative. Huge, yeah, yeah, huge, like, status quo changing issue, but also, like, great narrative stuff. Yeah, There's, like, some Gwen speechifying stuff in here that Jason writes the hell out of that I love. And it has also one of the coolest depictions of Venom symbiote costume thing I've ever seen is, like, spiders crawl like actual like weird spidery things crawling all over characters hands and then someone describes them as like weird gummy spiders Mm -hmm. uh just like grossed me out so much great job (laughs) yeah so to see that these bold choices come to a head in this issue was so much fun and to see what new frontiers and what new bold choices are going to be made in the immediate aftermath and the immediate immediate aftermath of this issue is uh, going to be really interesting because some big stuff goes down, mm-hmm. uh, especially as we get to, towards the end of, uh, of this issue. It is so much fun. Most of the issues, there's a page of like a Marvel handbook mm-hmm. uh, entry for various characters. And so in this one, it is for the children of Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales from a different universe. And there's a line in here. In, in this, a really throwaway of an encounter that the kids have with a, like, multidimensional reality, uh, a talk show host named Mojo Harvey. <laughs> and it, I just started going down this rabbit hole in my brain last night of Mojo Harvey, uh, like, Mojo Harvey then hosting, like, a Family Feud type show. Yeah. And Mojo Harvey's stand-up. And then Mojo <laughs> Harvey's, like, talk show. I want this so bad. I love Mojo Harvey. And I literally, all you get is the name in one line. Right. But the potential yeah, yeah. is so huge. <laughs> I love you, Jason. He's the best. All right. Also, the best. And my other pick of the week is Star Wars Lando. Double or nothing. Ooh. Yeah. Number one, it is written by Rodney Barnes. Recently, he did the Falcon 
limited series. He's worked on uh, Marvel's Runaways on Hulu. It is art by Paolo Villanelli and colors by Andres Mosa and letters by Joe Caramagna. Man, if you, like me, left Solo wanting a bunch more of Lando and L3, this is your jam. It takes place before the events of Solo, a Star Wars story, and you know, it's you've got plenty of Lando, plenty of L3. It is wonderful. The second page of the issue, second story page, has one of my favorite panels of the week, and it's uh, Lando looking at camera saying, it's sweet, but it could always be sweeter. That is pure meme fodder. I, <laughs> I like. I just love it. It is delightful. The art here is so perfect. You get the Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian vibe to a T. The writing is so spot on to the characterization and the vibe that we got from the characters in the film. Now, Tucker, you've not even seen the movie yet, a resident Star Wars expert. How dare you? It's a travesty. I know. Waiting on my little tiny little baby bro who will be coming to visit me and watch this film in just a matter of hours or days. But listen, I loved this issue nonetheless. So if you haven't seen the movie, it's also great. It's got uh, <laughs> tons of sass between Lando and L3. I will not talk about it as much uh, on this show because it is one of my picks of the week. We're going to talk about it more on This Week in Marvel. But man, this hit me. I was I was excited for it beforehand, but I saw Solo and I read this and I got way more excited. It's great. Next up is X-Men Blue number 28. This is written by Colin Bunn with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Rain Barreto and letters by Joe Caramagna. This is the culmination of this story arc. This is Cry Havoc part six. We are dealing with the fallout of the mother vine being unleashed on Earth. And that is, of course, it's like a bomb that turns everyone into mutants. And that works uh, for some uh, evil mutants. And that doesn't work for other sometimes evil, sometimes good mutants. But for me, this story arc and this issue all comes down really to two characters. I mean, the X-Men Blue Squad is obviously hugely involved. They're doing their best. But this story arc has kind of put the focus on the bad guys in a really interesting way. And this issue does that in a really big way because there are big moves made. But this issue all comes down to Emma Frost and Magneto for me. I am a huge fan of both of these characters. I love to see their points of view put up, in the case of this story, against each other, um, despite what you might assume Magneto is one of my favorite Marvel characters ever, and I think this this captures his principles and his uh, kind of his values in a really, really interesting way because he's so mutable in his goodness, I guess, or his evilness. Just depending, he's all shades of gray. Yeah, he is all is one of those great characters who can land on any side of an argument, and he's valid. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this was such a great picture of kind of narrative craft in a way because of how these bad guys emerged and then other bad guys emerged. They were kind of pitted against each other. Things kind of were dealt with in in, in a simultaneously unexpected slash inevitable way. And then as the story concludes in this issue, uh, things 
twist again and things turn again in in more super unexpected, super interesting ways. I've really, really enjoyed how this story arc has culminated. I thought it was a great, you know, a, a great mutant story. Well, Tucker, if you like this, you yeah. should definitely check out the Magneto series that Cullen wrote a couple years ago. This issue got me thinking about how much I loved that run. That was really, really good. Cullen, like part of the reason why he's so good uh, at writing Magneto here is he honed it writing mm-hmm. a, a Magneto series for a year and change. Um, five, six years ago, whatever it was. Definitely check that out. It's on Marvel Unlimited if you haven't read it. There's a villain in here, which made me really happy, who appears. He's a 90s character, originally drawn and designed by Joe Casada over 25 years ago. Still has one of my favorite costumes for any X-Villain. It's just so cool and unique. If you are curious about what's going on with Havoc, because we know he's going to be in uh, Matt Rosenberg and Greg Land's Astonishing X-Men, this is a huge issue setting that up. So keep that in mind if you're excited about Astonishing. All right. We've got X-Men Red, annual number one. One of the main things I love about this book is that Gambit's on the cover, but Gambit ain't on the inside. There ain't no Gambit to be what found. What a great surprise for you. Right? Yeah. It was surprise and delight, Ryan. Day. I mean, you were just turning every single page, like bracing yourself. When are and you, you got get to there? the end and you're like, oh, yeah. what a delight. My first hint that it was going to be treasure was the credits page when we see that Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, Trinary, Wolverine, and Honey Badger were listed. There ain't no Gambit in sight, y'all. Wow. Terrific. <laughs> Written by my boy. Tom Taylor, art by Pascal Alixe, colors by Chris Sotomayor, letters by Corey Petit, and, uh, oh man, I would love to see this issue collected with the Resurrection of Jean Grey limited series. This is the perfect bookend to that storyline because it is really Jean Grey after the fact. She is clearing her head, figuring out where she is. She's interacting with her family. In, in numerous ways that that means for her. Uh, people she's never met that have become important while she was gone. People she needs to come to terms with for numerous reasons. And this is really the kind of the perfect use of an annual. Um, annual is a very old thing that we've done for many, many years. Uh, it's just, you know, some people just say, oh, it's an extra issue. It's a little bit larger. But this gives you the sense and feel of the main series but tells a different kind of story. It's bigger, separate from what's going on in the main book, but still feels like a natural component of it and something that doesn't break the flow of everything you're doing. And then the very end of the book ties directly into the main story that's going on through X-Men Red throughout this. Of course, it's a Tom Taylor book, so there's going to be wonderful Wolverine and Honey Badger moments. Honey Badger freaking out that she's meeting Jean Grey (laughs) is pure wonderfulness i love it so much it is funny we get to see jonathan the wolverine in this always a delight well johnny i think i saw a little peek at panagos the pelican at one point which is a little, little taste a little taste <laughs> just cool stuff with gene being gene and this is a great issue of saying hey maybe you've not read a lot of gene comics you know you you know gene gray because of it's gene gray mm-hmm. this is a really cool issue of reestablishing her place in the x-men universe and and Marvel. Loved it. Last up this week is the last issue of a great limited series. It's You Are Deadpool, number five, written by Al Ewing with art by Salva Espin and letters by Joe Sabino. Uh, this wraps up the game in such a fun, just like labyrinth kind of way because it is, of course... The terrifying mind of Al Ewing that scares me so much. And uh, 
There is a few really fun little mini games in here, including like a Wade Cowboy, Cowboy Wade game that I thought was so funny. And uh, yeah, I, I think looking back now that this is all wrapped up, you are Deadpool. It is. I mean, can you remember anything that has done something different in a way like this series has done? I mean, we've done choose your own adventure type right. books, but this is different. This yeah. is like taking it a couple of steps further. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it's the perfect character. For, for us, for comics. Right. I'm sure stuff like this has been done in, you know, your your British magazines or your <laughs> Australian newspapers or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And it's the perfect character to do it with. Uh, and Wade Wilson makes it so much fun. Al Ewing has a great command of that and of messing with your head. There is a great great post credit scene in here that was so much fun now that i have all five issues i want to kind of go back to the beginning and do it all as one whole uh game but uh yeah it's been so much fun heck yeah also this week we've got two true believers issues these will run you one dollar and uh you get a great comic book out of it so you got true believers wolverine evolution number one and true believers wolverine exiles number one exiles number one Telling you guys, every time an issue of the it's new Exile series comes out, this is the thing that got me. It's like teeth dug right into my neck and it was just sucking at my veins, <laughs> just pulling the blood from me and giving itself life. Desanguination. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, Exiles number one, Judd Winnick, Mike McCone, one of my favorite comic books of all time. All right, we got lots of other stuff this week. Tucker, you want to read some collections on sale? Yeah, we have Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows, Volume 3, Eight Years Later. Black Panther Book 5, Avengers of the New World Part 2, Color Your Own Ant-Man and the Wasp, Secret Avengers by Ed Brubaker, The Complete Collection, Silver Surfer Epic Collection, Thanos Quest, The Punisher, War Machine Volume 1, Wolverine, The Amazing Immortal Man and Other Bloody Tales, and X-Men Gold Volume 5, Cruel and Unusual. All right, on the digital front, uh, some cool stuff that hit the app this week. Hercules, Prince of Power. These, uh, there's two, both limited series. The first one is Stellar and Interstellar. It's Hercules in space, written and drawn by Bob Layton. It is a classic sort of, I think if someone were to ask, hey, what's a essential Hercules story? This would be one of them, definitely. So check out Hercules, Prince of Power on the app. There's Tons of other issues, especially uh, Silver Surfer 39 through 50. Those are the issues that are collected in Silver Surfer Epic Collection Thanos Quest, which is one of my all-time favorite runs of comics. It leads up to the events of the original Infinity Gauntlet. The actual Thanos Quest storyline is how Thanos gets the original Infinity Gems. They were gems when I was growing up. <laughs> Infinity Gems. <laughs> and so how he gets the gems and the things that he does, and it's got... Some really gnarly, amazing art by Ron Lim and his Jim Starlin, and it is freaking great. Love it so much. On the digital collection side, in addition to the books that Tucker talked about, we've got Black Widow, Sting of the Widow, and a bunch more, some George Perez things, uh, and those Hercules Prince of Power. On Marvel Unlimited, we've got some uh, Silver Surfer issues from various runs, including the first 14 issues of the series that leads into Infinity Gauntlet. Plenty more issues, including Venom the Mace, a 1994 limited series with Venom, and Warlock, the limited series from 1998. Neat stuff. I would say you should check it out. If you want the full list, hit up news.marvel.com for the article, which will list all these books, or we'll put some links in the show notes for you. A lot of good stuff this week. And uh, hey, oh, 
make sure to watch our video version yeah. of Marvel's The Pullist. Tucker is looking spiffy. He's got his hair all done up. He's wearing a shirt today. I'm wearing a shirt. Usually I run around yep. topless. But, you know, on days when we record, and out of respect to the viewer, you know, I have a greater respect to you than I do my colleagues. It's true. <laughs> Thank you for that, Tucker. <laughs> yep. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. Oh, and This Week in Marvel later this week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.